it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And it if sure you are, is. <laughs> is, isn't it? I know. And and if you're looking for something, the perfect gift for a friend or for yourself, I recommend. Maybe you can recommend it because it sounds really self-serving and narcissistic when I recommend it. Um, the wonderful oral history of Star Trek, uh, the well, 50-year mission. Would that be the 50-year mission? Uh, volume one be. and two? Volume one. Now, I want to make an important distinction. Volume one, available now in paperback. Volume two, only in hardcover still. Right. So, But you can get the audio version, get the digital version. You can get them all. Because maybe them you all. want them get all. Get all of them. You know, because that would be ideal. I, I would prefer <laughs> you get them all. Because I had my, my druthers, as they say. And then, of course, also... Our other books, which are worth checking out, Nobody Does It Better, also available in hardcover and now in paperback. That's about uh, James Bond, isn't it? How'd you guess? I just about James Bond. Because nobody does it better, that's why. It's a great book about James Bond. So as you get ready for the inevitable release of uh, No Time to Die sometime in the next decade. There's no time um, to release. (laughs) You want to pick up No Time to Die, again, also available on digital, audio, and in hardcover and paperback from, uh, from Tor Forge. And uh, if you want to do a deeper dive, check out uh, So So Say We All, our oral history of both Battlestar Galactica series, which is only available in hardcover. And I don't believe there's an audio book. I just think a digital. I'm not sure why they didn't do an audio book. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we can I'll, do something about that. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll just record <laughs> our own and we'll, we'll show them. So uh, anyway, uh, if you're thinking about the holidays and wondering what to get, please uh, check out uh, my books uh, with Ed Gross. The 50-Year Mission, Volume 1 and 2, So Say We All, An Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, and most recently, Nobody Does It Better, A Complete Oral History of the James Bond Films and Spy Mania. Ed Gross will thank you. Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download the it. app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store. It says electric now. You download it. And then it. in press, the United States. Press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose. You can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. Welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and joining me is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Uh, We are going to pick right back up in our Wonder Woman conversation from when we left off before with our guests, Clark Wolf, Amy Dallin, and Hector Navarro. Josh, can we talk about the delightful Greek god incest that happens in this <laughs> script? Yes. Um, this is, I, what did I wrote down? Aries and Diana kiss, Greek incest. <laughs> I mean, I just loved how delightfully weird, because it, it's so tame. It's so, it's tame considering, all things considered. But I did love that about this Aries, that it just went there, that it totally went there. I I, I was like, what is happening? It yeah, was it's very incesty with the, like, join me in the dark side. Yes. Hot yeah. daughter kind it's of a weird, vibe. It's a weird vibe, for sure. Uh, it, it, you know, that when that second moment comes eventually, like they make good hay with it in terms of Diana's response. Uh, but like, it was a strange to imagine, like, what if that was how millions of people found out about Wonder Woman was in a scene where, uh, she has a dad and he tries to seduce her. That's very strange. Uh, I, this, it is. They do a pretty good job. Like I'm, I'm still not super on board with the Diana needs to have a dad, and it, like the big surprise is her finding out that she has a dad, and they lied to her about it. But like it's pretty firmly ensconced between uh, the 2011 reboot in the comics and the 2017 movie. Uh, and for all that, that's not my favorite version of the story. Like they make some pretty good hay with it here. 
uh, with, you know, I, Clark, I liked your point about the rage where like, I liked her being angry. I wasn't a big fan of the idea that that anger comes from like the, the bad seed side of her because I'm like, nah, women, we've got plenty of anger. It sure. comes from us and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but, but I like your point that it lets that be a central focus and, and that this movie has a very clear trajectory of her being like, whatever parts I, I may be made out of, I get to decide what I do with them. Um, and it's a nice, yeah, thing. It's also that like very classic, like epic storytelling thing of like, well, I am half this, you know, like right. I have it in my, you know, and, and in further movies or stories that could obviously be played with of like, do I trust myself? You know, like my father is this horrible, you know, instigator and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, sure, sure. I agree with your point that like, yeah, you're right. We don't need, we don't need her dad to be Aries to explore the rage issue. <laughs> uh, um, but I do think that they're, you know, they're, they're, something that could be mine from that it is a classic model i just i end up being a purist being like it's a classic model it's just not necessarily you don't need it to tell wonder woman stories Hmm. uh and just i guess to give the audience a little flavor to that end like it kind of keeps coming up with her reflecting on in fights where she kind of went too far it's like you don't understand amazons do not kill out of anger or vengeance it is contrary to everything i have learned all my life everything i am or thought i was and that was in reference to her just like wanting to straight up murder Ares when they were facing off um but after that scene we just read uh now we kind of enter another sort of comedy set pc section uh where Doc gives her, I guess, a makeover, for lack of better words, giving <laughs> giving her the normal human clothes. This is also after, again, the news talking about her. And the, the news identifies her as a prostitute. I thought it was even funny. There was a woman matching a description of a prostitute who masterminded a jailbreak earlier this evening, to which Diane is like, what's a prostitute? Uh, there's also a joke of her not understanding what coffee is. And they're like, this is terrible. You drink this on purpose? <laughs> by the way, rewatching the, the movie that got made last night, I was very impressed by the way they snuck in briefly a lot of the kind of inherent fish-out-of-water comedy stuff without really, and I'm not, I'm not saying this script does a bad job of it, but uh, without kind of delving in too far, you don't feel like, like if you were describing the Gal Gadot movie wouldn't be like, and then there's the whole fish out of water section. It's like weaved nicely into kind of the whole joke of that movie that works so well of her just being like, where's the battlefront? Let's go. And Steve had kind of just constantly be like, just hold on. We got to do, <laughs> we're going to go there. Just like, let me do this one thing first this way. Let's go. Um, even I, the, like, even this the is moment of her eating the ice cream the cone, ice cream. I guess. Yes. Great moment. But even her going, oh, Steve, look, a baby is a beautiful yeah. little moment. And it just reinforces like her origin of, oh, yeah, she grew up and she had no peers. She was the only little kid on this island for years. And when she was adult size, like there was no other children. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time she's seeing a baby. It just reinforces and reminds you of her cool, you know, unique mythological origin. I, I was thought they would, they do it so gracefully in that movie, like the ice cream scene. Some of us took that as a reference to a particularly famous scene from one of the animated things. Uh, but it like it's such a it's a great little comedy beat. And then she adds the uh, you should be very proud. And what I love about that is that's Wonder Woman not knowing the convention that you don't pay attention to street vendors. But it's one of those things where it's like, ah, the things Wonder Woman assumes are better than the way our world works. She assumes that it would be normal to tell a street vendor that they should be proud of their delicious ice cream. And we're like, no, 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 we don't stop and acknowledge that kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's it's a, a small version of the big conflict that's going to be throughout the movie. And, and, you know, good job, people who made that movie and Alan Heidberg and Patty Jenkins. <laughs> uh, and as was kind of being referred to earlier, this is now we have a section where She's with the Howling Commandos. Trevor is trying to figure out how to like clue in his boss, who's I don't think a character from the comic. In fact, I think this is another character who's named after a yep. writer and artist, Admiral, Admiral Jimenez. Bill Jimenez, hey. uh, a writer and artist who had just, I think, concluded maybe around this time. Uh, I'm not sure on the timeline, but sometime around here had been uh, working on Wonder Woman for several years uh, and who is a delightful human being. Uh, uh, and they're pretending that Diana now in her normal clothes is Steve's uh, secretary. Vanessa shows up again and again, gets very poorly tra- treated, gets <laughs> jealous of Steve's super hot 
temp secretary uh, when he realizes that, or I guess she doesn't quite realize there's something going on yet, but like clocks her. Um, Cause I'm forgetting there's a whole section then when they go to a bar to hang out mm. uh, and Diana gets in a big, it's kind of a fun set piece structure wise, right? That's this one, not the uh-huh. one, that's this right? One. Yeah. That's this one. Yeah. Diana gets in a big fist fight with a bunch of drunk assholes playing pool while Vanessa is getting in a fight, relationship fight with Steve outside and they'll like cut to their fight and you'll just see in the background, Diana flipping people over until at some point, uh, Diana gets like thrown through the window and Vanessa's like putting the pieces together and is like, man, runs <laughs> off all sad. Poor Vanessa. Leave the movie forever. Yeah. For <laughs> Leave the movie. I'm never coming back to this movie. <laughs> um, there's this, uh, I guess, bonding scene where Steve teaches uh, Diana how to skip stones mm-hmm. on a lake. Um, though I felt like they should have had the joke where she like skips a stone, you know, two miles. But they have to be pretty good at it. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're they're good at like, it. is there she's anything you can't pick up? And she's like, well, I haven't tried everything yet, which yeah. is a pretty good line. Yeah, that was a great one. Uh, and then uh, we learned that Admiral Jimenez is. Uh, technically evil because they go they basically go to this camp david thing to be like hey we got to warn the powers that be and admiral minutes is like i've set up a meeting with the president except when they walk into the room to talk to the president it's basically the scene from empire strikes back where they're going to dinner and darth vader's like waiting in the room mm-hmm. and you're like fucking lando that's a uh, <laughs> fucking admiral Jimenez in this one uh and it's Ares, and uh Trying to remember, what's his big weapon in this one? The Soul Catcher, I think it was. I don't remember. Oh, all right, again, the three scripts, they start to blur together in mind. Yeah, he's starting to get to Doom's Doorway. Right. One. Yeah. Um, and that's where we kind of eventually we establish what Doom's Doorway is, which is a doorway to Hades, which, I mean, I think you kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, and it's a gimmick, which I think is a good supervillain gimmick, is the idea that that's where all of Ares' old dead soldiers are. And when he opens the doors, they will be able to inhabit any human body they want indefinitely. So he's just kind of got this replaceable army he can keep sending out to kill everybody over and over and over and over again. Uh, building They're up gonna to- They're going to steer all the world leaders there. Yeah. Um, so they can kind of puppet leaders as much as they uh, want. Okay. Unending war, that whole game. Makes sense. <laughs> Trying to remember if there's anything. Can I go out of order and ask yeah, uh, what is a do. super spoilery question about the end of this movie? Just to see if, if I read this correctly. Does every world leader get blown up in the end of this movie? You know, wow. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. <laughs> it, I, I don't, maybe that's like a multiple draft situation, uh, but it did seem like uh, there's a big spoilers heroic arrival at the end and Steve and the Howling Commanders come in and start taking out the bad guy vehicles. But I believe they had just specified that the world leaders were in those vehicles and clearly I missed something, but. but well, I don't know. Cause I, I kind of envisioned it as like everybody got went through the portal or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. so and I was going to say part of it is I'm a little, which again, might just been that I wasn't paying enough attention or it was kind of rewrite error. But so the whole climax of this is that if you remember back to the beginning, Ares is like wanted to find a pilot who could redo the special move the Maverick Top Gun move that Trevor did to pierce into the Amazon world. So he's going to make Trevor do that. And he's got Diana prisoner because she gets yes. handcuffed, bound, however, exactly. Right. Yeah. Make sure I remember in the right order. Um, Which I didn't and, love and that the big climactic beat is that she is being held captive and powerless so that they can make Steve do the big uh, like hero move that only it's a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Well, um, then, obviously, then, there's more movie coming, though. Yeah, well, the part that I'm confused about is that it seems like a key point is that when Dinah finally breaks free and communicates uh, with Trevor, that they're going to, like, trap Ares in the Amazon world, but then, like, one page later is like, I can get back. Like, so I, I feel like something was lost there. And again, I'm not entirely sure where the rest of all both armies are in yeah. all this. Um but, you know, I guess somewhat predictably, Diana, uh, she's basically, she falls out of the plane and she's handcuffed. So she's just going to oh, right. flat and hit the ground. 
Uh, she hears Artemis, who, as I'd noted, had kind of been appearing to her throughout the movie. Oh, I don't think I even said the first time she appears is when on the beach scene when Diana's defending the homeless woman from the like frat boys. That homeless woman then turns into like Artemis, and she's like, "I've been watching you all this time. Not really helping because that's my style." Um, <laughs> But Diana hears the voice of Artemis and her mother and a bunch of other people and, you know, manages to break the chains and then starts flying and then, you know, starts saving the day. Uh, anyone feel free to jump in if there's specific bits in here they liked. Well, she does cut off the creepy kiss scene with a nice headbutt. So yes. that, we'll just note that for the audience who were like, where is that going? Um, when your dad tries to kiss you, you headbutt him. That's the... <laughs> And the then, you know, move. maybe jump off a plane, but it would help if you will about to be turning, you will turn out to be about to manifest your flight powers. <laughs> uh, and one thing I do like about this, just as far as, I kind of do, I like the idea, and I'm not saying that they should have done this in the finished movie, but that we get the rest of the Amazons back into mm-hmm. the fight and like Hippolyta and Ares are like facing off and it's kind of like mirroring the beginning where Ares is like, yay, I get to kill you all over again, stupid Hippolyta. Um, I have that written down too. I like that it starts and ends on Themyscira. And um, and this also reminded me of that Alfred Molina, the, the, the animated, one, yeah. yeah, the animated film. Um, yeah. It's just called Wonder Woman from 2009, but that's the one with Carrie Russell as the voice of Diana, Nathan mm-hmm. Fillion, Steve Trevor, and Alfred Molina's um, Aries. Yeah, I was just going to say for that movie, the way you guys are describing this script makes me, it reminds me of that because they give Steve Trevor something to do that's heroic, but not the main thing right diana's mm-hmm. fighting Ares, god of war and steve gets to go and fly in a plane does that sound familiar and <laughs> shoot down the big yeah. bomb threat and it's a neat little bit in the animated film because it's an invisible jet so he fires the missiles and then nothing happens and then the bad bomb explodes and he goes oh it was invisible missiles that's why you know it's a fun <laughs> little bit but it's interesting how in these wonder woman films there is a there's definitely an attempt to make to make sure to give Steve Trevor something heroic to do versus like does the same consideration given to a Lois Lane in a Superman movie or mm, Mary Jane in a right. Spider-Man movie oftentimes no and it, you know you can't give Steve too much to do and that's like that it's funny that that's a challenge for screenwriters that they can't give Steve too much to do that they have to let Wonder Woman be the hero mm. Um, so I, I, I really like the way that it was handled as well in the 2017 film where Steve Chris Pine dies, sacrifices himself. Um, then of course, Wonder Woman is very sad and angry. And even if at the end of that, I was like, oh, well, we'll never see Chris Pine again. Well, he's going to show up again. And I'm very <laughs> intrigued by that. So, uh, I think that they were able to ha- handle that balance of who gets to do what very well, even if the end of that 2017 movie does kind of state, Diana is so heartbroken. She's not going to be Wonder Woman for a hundred years. We're just pretending that's not. Yeah, because it's like, you're going to have to answer those kinds of questions. You know, you're going to, that's a tricky thing about having Diana uh, be a period piece. The Wonder Woman story be a period piece, whether it's World War I or World War II. The the lucky thing about Captain America is that built into his story, he's going to get froze at the end of that event and wake up today. Wonder Woman you're just going to leave her in history. She would have an effect on the world around her. People would be inspired by her. Things would have gone differently. It's it's a tough pill to swallow to tell me that that kind of a heroic person, somebody on par with a Superman or Captain America, would just hide for a hundred years. Are you <laughs> kidding? It's tough. It's tough. So I will. Uh, yeah. Uh, Clark, to your point about ending in Themyscira, I do think it's interesting the way this movie answers. Uh, it, like, and it's one of the reasons I think I'm okay with it being a modern day film is that when you're trying to do a Wonder Woman, one big story, you have sort of two giant approaches you can take. One is that there is an emergency in the patriarch's world so bad that it once discovered by the Amazons is going to sort of justify this big change in their 2000 year status quo. Um, And so the original is obviously World War II. The Paris reboot is basically like nuclear war and the threat on the horizon ultimately proves to be connected to like that first storyline. And it feels grounded in that specific sort of emergency. And it's why I think the World War I setting works, even though folks like me were skeptical when they were, I was like, but she's not from, 
um, it's the war to end all wars. So it actually makes perfect sense. And mm -hmm. despite not being the original, like sort of seamlessly graphs onto the mythology in that way. But your other choice, if you don't have a world war to throw it against, is to make the discovery either accidental or part of a plan that involves like a, you know, an Ares who can get to the island and make a horrible consequence happen. And so that's sort of the like, that that's where you get a lot of the more effective there's a dangerous artifact here there's a portal to hell kind of yeah. hunt for themiscira version of the plot and i think like they find a pretty good way to make that work in this one is that like yeah. those ongoing level of aries machinations are especially dangerous because of the discovery of paradise island and that's why this needs to happen it just makes her leaving the island scene a little weird here where she's like, I just need to make sure he doesn't track you, this specific guy down, even though I don't yet know that this will be key to a world ending emergency. <laughs> well, and to that one, wrapping up super quickly, uh, Ares opens, Doom's doorway, things start flying out. Diana ultimately wins by kicking him into Hades and closing the door on him. And all, all the evil spirits just start killing him. And he's basically like, hey, I'm your boss, but they don't care. Um, but <laughs> I was gonna say, this ends, even though they don't really follow up on it, unless someone correct me if I somehow misinterpreted this, but uh, Artemis appears to Diana again at they talk, and Artemis says, it is time for what has been lost to be rediscovered, for Themyscira to rejoin the world, which is a sort of Black Panther-esque ending right. that implies to me that if there was a sequel to this specific movie, that almost would have opened with the news being like, yo, this island just appeared in the middle sure. of the ocean full of Amazons. And in the roughly contemporary Phil Jimenez run, the island had sort of decided to like open itself up as like a university, as like a sort of ambassadorial international like space. And that was sort of an idea that they were playing mm -hmm. with in some ways. Cause yeah, there's a lot of parallelism in the sort of Themyscira and Wakanda stories uh, about like where you take it. And the, the arguments on each side have a lot of resonance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the script we just read was from August 26th, uh, 2004, and then seven months later, um, in 2005, March 17th, it was announced that Josh Whedon is going to write and possibly direct uh, Wonder Woman. And what was interesting, too, around this time, um, in, I saw in Starlog that uh, Ryan Reynolds was casted as The Flash for David Goyer, which I thought was kind of interesting. But um, yeah, so March 2005, Whedon is attached. And one week later, Lindsay Lohan made an announcement that she wanted to play Wonder Woman. <laughs> then two weeks later after that, there was like a rumor that Kate Beckinsale was up, but that could, that, I don't know. It, it just- This is that, during that, the like underworld uh, era. Yeah. Lindsay and Lohan then, might have made it would have made a decent um, Wonder Girl. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, well, that was like, she was 19 and she just came off of Herbie Fully Loaded at the time. <laughs> oh, I was and, thinking this was after Mean Girls. Yeah. And, Bold choice to think that Herbie Fully Loaded was, that was going to launch you into the, the A-list. And she was only 19 at the time. And then uh, March 2006, Esquire, uh, there was an interview with, um, oh, I always destroy her name. The girl who played the Wasp in the latest Marvel movie. Evangeline uh, Lilly? Yes, Evangeline Lilly. She wanted, she spoke out that she'd like to play the role of Wonder Woman. And then like March, 2006, uh, Josh Whedon was saying that he's probably Joss. gonna- Joss. <laughs> I always do Josh. Okay, so this is now one year later after he was announced that he was writing it. He said that he's probably going to be turning in the script in a few days. It's coming along. There will be some, all the expected stuff. Of course, there will be the bracelets. There will be the invisible jet, the lasso, and all that. The script is about girls maturing and a rite of passage, that type of thing. And then two months later... He said, I did turn it in to the producers, but not to the studio yet. I'm working on revisions now. It's business as usual. I'm writing. That's all. This has taken longer to write than many things usually do. And there's some reasons for that. But the script is coming together in a way that's actually even surprising me. So I'm pretty excited. So we'll just have to wait. And now, uh, March 7th, 2006, we have Joss Whedon's script. 
to like a year and a half. I'm not sure if this is his first draft. It's not really, oh no, I think this is the only draft he wrote. So this is like a year and a half later, pretty much, we have his screenplay. Uh, well, I think it's relevant. Did all three of you read this script? I can't remember what we said. Years ago, yeah. Years ago. I read it. Yeah, I read too. it. Remember, was, was there like a like a Spanish general or something, some Latin American bad guy? Was that a part of it, or am I confusing that with something else? Might be something else. I don't remember that part. I might be confusing it with an Indiana Jones script that was never made. Okay, ah. great. <laughs> Future great. episode. Um, <laughs> well, Clark and I were kind of talking about this uh, at the very beginning, waiting for everyone to come on, is that this script, I guess just because it's Joss Whedon and – he sort of uh, seems like the double whammy, yet also unrelated, depending on which fans are complaining. Is he got kind of like half me too'd a little bit mm-hmm. stuff with his mm-hmm. ex-wife, but then obviously the Snyder cut things. It, it seems like we're in a very anti-Joss Whedon world at the moment, which yeah. is just funny uh, being like a nerd because for the longest time, you know, he, he was, was the guy. I guess I don't know how you guys felt, but I felt he was very revered. Um, and now it just seems like all nerds hate him. And so it seems like this bits and pieces of the script have kind of like leaked out over the years. And it's become this example of this embarrassingly horrible Wonder sure. Woman script that Joss Whedon wrote. First of all, it is not actually a bad script because Joss Whedon, whether or not you like him, is a decent writer. Like he knows how to write a movie with a beginning, middle, and an end uh, <laughs> that all kind of piece together. Um... And as we were kind of talking about in one of the previous episodes of like knowing the context of when these projects were happening, you know, this is coming off Buffy when Joss Whedon was still kind of a champion. It's just funny thinking of the area that the, the champion of women's voice in TV was a white straight dude, but that's what the era was. So it does make sense on paper that you're like, let's get that guy much like James Cameron kind of was before Joss Whedon. It's like, if you're going to get somebody to do a female forward movie, you get Joss Whedon uh, to give it the Buffy treatment. <laughs> and, you know, that's what this script is. You, is t- again, talking about if you're running a studio, you, you're basically casting your writing and directing choices too. Uh, if you hire Joss Whedon to make a Wonder Woman movie, this is the Wonder Woman movie you are inevitably going to get. That said, uh, what's everybody's kind of big picture thoughts on it? Um, I, so yeah, what we were talking about before we started recording is, um, I don't find this script to be offensive or I find the, um, and now I'm blanking on the word that I, I used earlier cause it felt like, but I found, I, I don't find this. I don't, I don't agree with the assessment because I did some research. Actually, I got like a third of the way through the script and I Googled it because I remembered people freaking out over this Wonder Woman movie. And I mm-hmm. read the article on the Mary Sue and I read some of the feedback um, that was coming from the internet. And I don't agree with the assessment that there it is offensive, you know, it's offensively bad. It's offense. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Like, um, I do think that, you know, Josh already pointed out, and I think we need to remember this was at a time when superhero movies were not like the standard they were not kind of like you know they they were not the pop culture juggernaut that they are now it was geek culture and geek culture was still finding its way into the mainstream i also want to point out that this was a movie for joel silver and you know yes he was interested in lady forward action movies as we've already discussed whether it was the christina ricci movie or it was you know a wonder woman movie or whatever but i i just feel like there's some like for instance one of the things that gets shouted out in these comments is um or these pieces is that they describe hippolyta as a middle-aged but still in her but in her prime middle-aged but still in her prime like visually Mm -hmm. and I just feel like at the time, if you're pitching this movie to studio executives in 2005 and you're like, yeah, and now we're going to have the mom and they're like, oh, mom, moms, moms aren't hot. You know, it's like, I just find the language in here written for an audience of a movie studio executive. And 
Um, well, I was going to follow up on that. Yeah, I was going to say, because I thought the same thing in the sense that I feel like that's him letting them know I want to cast a 50 year old actress at the mom and yeah. not let Joel Silver ever be like, yeah, but there are immortals or mom's like 22. Right. You know, cause yes. I think that's normally where they would have gone. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, the other thing I want to say too, is that um, this, this movie is pre Batman begins. And I think that we forget in ter- terms of the context of how we treat these stories and these characters that, you know, for better or for worse, Hector and I have talked about this at great length, like the legacy of Christopher Nolan's Batman movies on our industry, I I think is, I think people took all the wrong lessons from Mm -hmm. Batman Begins and, Mm -hmm. but that's a whole other thing. But I, I think that this is a, this is a poppy, you know, fun summer superhero movie that is more in the vein of Spider-Man Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. It's more in the vein of that kind of world. And even X-Men, I would argue. Even the first X-Men, which Joss did those rewrites on. So I have feeling, and we'll get into it when we get into the dynamics of like the, um, well, actually, I want to say one more thing before we get into it, and then I'll I'll stop. Um, So as I said earlier in our recording, um, I think that the 2017 Wonder Woman is a really good, it's the perfect Wonder Woman for the time, right? And I think that this movie is also very of its time. And I think it was doing things that was, were impressive for the time. But I want to address real fast the, the, um, the uh, Diana-Steve relationship. Because one of the biggest criticisms is, this is a Steve Trevor movie, you know? He's, like, in there, whatever. Um, I personally prefer the Diana-Steve relationship in 2017. I find it moving as a, as a woman. I love that the message for children in the audience is, boys, you can, not, you can encourage girls to lead. You can yeah. support them when they should be the leader. Um, but I read this telling as a Princess Leia Han Solo type of dynamic. Joss in this script leans into the fact that she's a princess. Now, I don't think that he speaks down to her, but it's in the 2017 version, it's more of this like innocent but inquisitive, um, you know, Diana, right? And, And Steve saying, no, 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 I've seen the real world. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's their friction. In this one, it's very much, in, in my opinion, a new hope type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Steve is a, is a, like a smuggler, you know, he's not a smuggler, but he's a, he's not in the military anymore. So now he's just, he's a pilot for elsewhere. He's running and he is dealing with drug lords and he is dealing with all of that stuff. And he treats Diana in some ways like, okay, princess. And we have to remember that in A New Hope, Leia wasn't General Organa yet. She, mm-hmm. she had aspirations and she wanted to do the right thing, but she still was a princess coming from a place of privilege, trying to make decisions. And sometimes they did not go the way that she maybe would have wanted. So it was a rebel trader and a spy. Exactly. <laughs> so I think it's really important to make that distinction. I felt, and I don't know how you all who've read this felt, but I really strongly felt like this was a more Leia Han dynamic as mm-hmm. opposed to Steve and Diana, which I think will set the stage for for things to come, you know, mm-hmm. afterwards. I don't remember strongly how I felt when I read it a few years ago, uh, but I do remember feeling like, yeah, I'm kind of glad that wasn't the first big cinematic outing for Wonder Woman. Technically, I guess that was Lego movie. No, technically the big cinematic first outing was the Patty Jenkins film, and I'm so happy with the way that that came out, all things considered. Um, but I also don't remember feeling like if this had come out in like 2007 or 2008, would I have hated it? Would I have, you know, I, I don't remember feeling that either. I feel like it, it would have been, it, it felt like an, it felt like an early 2000s superhero movie, the way that Clark is describing, um, which had a, which had different priorities than a superhero movie today, especially concerning Wonder Woman or, con, you know, tackling any kind of like representation issues or, 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 or presenting a, a, a type of demographic that normally doesn't get like, it, I, I am blown away that this script was even being written at this point. Like it's just uh yeah, I remember feeling like it wasn't super far off the mark, but I also totally understand people's issues with Joss Whedon as his, uh, as a writer, him as a person, 
there's a whole nother set of issues and people are very fairly calling that stuff out. And apparently he was very toxic and abusive when he did the reshoots for justice league. And we're waiting to see what, you know, what that's going to be and what the accusations are and all that definitive proof and everything. But even when he did like the Avengers movies in the second Avengers movie, people really disliked the way he wrote and set up uh, black widow and Hulk. I, don't feel the same way, but I totally 100% see the validity in people calling that out and being like, this is why this is bad. This is why the, this writing, this dialogue, uh, it implies this. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I kind of interpreted it a different way, but, um, uh, you know, I think that it, I think that the, the, the sort of personal life of this guy has recolored people looking at his work and actually looking at it and being like, well, what is his work saying his old TV shows, his old movies, whatever. And if people are finding new valid stuff in there, I think that's fine. And that stuff was really always there, but maybe people weren't seeing it as much because everybody was just stoked that like Buffy, the vampire slayer was a hit on TV or people were stoked that it was a, a, a female lead in his movies and projects or that, you know, um, that he, that this guy got to do a Firefly movie. Oh, great. The geeks won again. Like anytime he would get these little victories in Hollywood, maybe I think the geek community was like, yes, he's one of us. But since then, I think people have kind of rethought that. I'm a, there's, there's so much here. <laughs> uh, and I don't know that like you, you could write long books on just fandom's reaction to him over time. And like, I've seen a lot of those arguments sort of changing coming over time. Um, and, and it does feel, uh, Hector, as you just alluded to, and Josh, as you brought up at the, the talk, it, it's, it's tough to have these conversations in the same sort of fun, carefree nerds talking about stuff when we know that like, there are situations with real people and working relationships that we don't know the case about uh, that, I know I can say for me, like, I don't, I don't know any of the facts. It has changed my feelings in some ways that are difficult to separate from like, you know, uh, the, those of you who know me know, I like, I grew up on Buffy. I was a hardcore irritating Firefly fan. Um, the work still, I, I mean, yeah, I was one of Wait, the- Wait, what like, are Firefly fans called? Brown Coats. <laughs> I, I absolutely textbook. Uh, and, and I still have a strong relationship to that work. I just currently have one with a big sort of asterisk question mark in just, I want to say like, as it's a, it's a tough thing. Cause it's like simultaneously, none of my business. And I do not feel right dismissing those concerns because these are very real people uh, involved in all these situations. Um, okay. So that very long, Awkward segue. I, I wish I had revisited the script, Clark, because I want to d dive into uh, which things do and don't work. What I remember of my impressions from this is that I think I remember being kind of like, all right, uh, at the time, especially that we read this a few years ago, like they hadn't made the new one yet. And I was just like, I just really want there to be a Wonder Woman movie. And I don't know if this would be my perfect one, but like I would go to this movie. Uh, what I feel like is that that hurdle race of trying not to do any of the things that I hope won't happen in a Wonder Woman movie. I feel like the script does not get through that one with clean marks. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I, I, is there a, a sexy dancing scene where she's just Ooh, raw yeah. and uninhibited? Does that happen? <laughs> yes. yes. Which we'll get, which we, we'll yeah, talk yeah. about. That's because part I of the scene that. we're going to read. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You know, I, I, long term, like I'm very happy with the movie that we ended up getting. Uh, in, in some of those, like, I might have accepted that as sort of a necessary trade-off and maybe it doesn't have to be, is all I'm saying. Uh, from, from my, I, unfortunately, I, I should have reread it. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, we'll go through it. <laughs> um, but I mean, to, I'm trying to think of how best to say this, but, you know, reading this script, I also felt like, which is something I always look for, especially with comic book adaptations, um, I felt at least, if nothing else, Joss Whedon likes Wonder Woman, and this script is what he likes about the characters. Maybe not feel like the always Steve the best things was... you should like about it, but uh, you know, it has that at least, it, of all the three scripts we read, I mean, I've kind of wished, you know, like you were saying about the last one, wasn't perfect. If it had come out when it did, you would have been like, oh, good. I feel would, everyone would have had the same reaction with this. I kind of wish you could cherry pick things from both mm. those. This one, at least, again, if Joss Whedon's good at anything, it's this kind of energy, um, which is also a funny uh, random example. Uh, my wife and I just rewatched Memento and neither of them had seen it. 
basically since it was new. And that movie mm. blew my mind when it came out. Still very good movie. It's weird to watch it, though, after you've seen a zillion Christopher Nolan movies and mm. kind of learned all his tricks. It would be like if you watched The Sixth Sense last in your like, M. Night Shyamalan uh, mm. viewing experience. So it yeah. is funny to watch this where I'm like, yeah, this all works, but at the same time, I've now realized I'm a little over the Joss Whedon specific style of banter. Um, right. And it happens when things like a really, and some people ripped off Buffy and that style of like kind of made up slang and just, mm-hmm. again, the very Han and Leia style of characters bickering. So in one sense, the script was very stale for me reading it. But if I put on my 2006 hat, I think I would have liked this Wonder Woman <laughs> if it had come out that summer. Well, sure. and Clark, what you alluded to with the Steve relationship, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I, think I remember finding like, oh, they're going for a sort of Han and Leia kind of thing here. But it also felt like this, this what I find non-existent problem of how to get people interested and on board with a Wonder Woman movie that ne- nonetheless seemed like a huge problem to people over time. It felt like the script was like, what what can be wrong with her? What? Uh... Yes, and and the, you're right. I wrote that down. Is like this is a different approach to the same material, and and meaning like there are the the Patty Jenkins movie and this script. What we saw on the screen and what is on this page, they're cousins. They're they're. It's just a different approach to making mm-hmm. similar or the same points. And again. Mm-hmm. I think Patty Jenkins' version I prefer. However, mm-hmm. I am not personally offended or angry or enraged by what is on this page. Uh, well, with that, let's maybe just dive into it. This one, <laughs> uh, the opening page of the script, which clearly would have been text on the screen in the movie, lays out our backstory, which is, in the time of the ancient Greeks, the most powerful warriors on earth were the Amazon women, proud, mighty, and cunning. They were never defeated in battle. Legend tells that Ares, the god of war, grew jealous of their power and had them imprisoned, their wrists bound in mystical chains, chains that robbed the Amazons of all their power. Shamed and imperiled, the Amazon queen Hippolyta prayed to Athena, goddess of wisdom, for deliverance from their slavery. The Amazons vanished from the earth. Uh, And then we open on Steve Trevor flying. Uh, Clark, I think you already kind of said this. He was military, which they get to later. You don't learn that in this scene. But in this, he's like flying cargo to refugees in Albania, I think it was. Something like Um, that. Trying to remember the political climate of the mid-aughts. A nice, inoffensive Eastern (laughs) European (laughs) country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And... Like I was just talking about some right up top, we get some classic Joss Whedon kind of uh, banter, which is Steve talking on the phone with who will be his uh, howling commandos in this one. Uh, I was like, this is lame duck. I got a force gazillion hurricane in my face. Visibility is zero and my readings are, uh, they're shot. My instrument panel's having serious emotional issues. I'm just like, oh, this is awesome. Very, Joss very Joss It's very Joss I, I couldn't get um, Nathan Fillion out of my head okay. as Steve. I'm so, sure that's who he would have fought yeah. and lost Warner Brothers yeah. to cast <laughs> at the time. And to that point, Nathan Fillion did voice Steve Trevor in that animated movie we keep talking about. And it's funny because I remember he's a dick. <laughs> Not Nathan Fillion, but that version of Steve Trevor <laughs> yeah. in that 2009 animated movie that please correct me if I'm wrong is quite beloved and like yeah. you know meaningful yeah. in the Clark, it's all we had I know, yeah. again this is my thing like I am actually quite I'm the person who says that the you know perfect should not be the enemy of the good right but, but I point I wanted to bring that up because yes Nathan Fillion did play Steve Trevor very, around this time it just was mm. an animated form and I and if, like me, you imagine it's him playing Steve in the movie, like I was saying before, part of what I hate about reading scripts is they're just blueprints. Like, you're losing so much. If you imagine Nathan Fillion saying most of these lines, they all work. Uh, a lot of his more dickish moments are more charming because mm-hmm. it's Nathan mm-hmm. Fillion and he's inherently likable. Um, but this, uh, yeah, it's, he's flying this cargo plane. He gets, like, lost in a storm. There's no special flying moves from... The previous one 
but he winds up in the world of the Amazons, crashes this plane. I feel like I misread this because then his plane is like working again at some point later. So it's clearly not totally destroyed. Do uh, the Amazons in- rebuild it? Is that what happens in the script? Oh, Do the Amazons re- I can't remember how they get the plane going again. I can't remember. I, I, I don't know if it's this script that does the actually clever idea of how do you explain Wonder Woman's invisible jet? She that comes from an Amazon, yeah. right? Yeah. It, yeah. So it's it's the Amazons rebuilt it, but then gave it like cloaking technology because they're better and smarter and stuff. So, uh, or modeled a new vehicle after his jet so that he had familiarity and, and right. Diana could Classic go back. Classic example, like I was saying before, of a thing I missed because I got so sure. sick of reading blocking. But high tech Amazons also come from canon and just show up inconsistently <laughs> over time. Yeah. Just to- yeah. Uh, we intro Diana here because Steve is trapped in his plane and he hears someone like jump on the roof and walk and she rips off the door. Um, where we see, yeah, more bantery stuff. Cause all of these things, I haven't read them all. They all have the same moment that the finished movie has where she first sees he's a man and is like, oh shit, you're a dude. And she's like, you look horrible. He's like, my leg's okay, but I think my wrist is broken. No, your face, it's so... Okay. <laughs> um, the funnier version of that was in the one we got where she comes in and staring at him naked, getting out of the bath. <laughs> Did you say you are average? <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll meet the other Amazons again. There's just a bunch of random names inconsistent from each draft to draft. The mm-hmm. one I want to read this scene here, not because it's good or bad. I just think it's a, cl- a very example, perfect example of how Joss Whedon-y this script is, is that here Diana has like a friend who's her age, who's very much the like nerdy sex crazed sidekick, um, which is, so this uh, will be Amy and Clark are in the scene. And this is a character named Aethra. And when we met her before, it's something, you know, where she's like kind of giggly about the idea of Steve Trevor and they're just being a dude on the island. And this is Diana has just gone and talked to Steve in his prison cell where he's awaiting being killed. Uh, And so we go to interior temple night. We are close on Diana as she enters, lost in unhappy thought. At least tell me you looked at it. Athena wraps her arms around Diana from behind, puts her head on Diana's shoulder. Diana puts her hand on Athena's smiling for the first time in a while. How did you know I'd be here? What night are you not? Nobody knows you as I do. They think you're just restless. They think I'm a child, just like him. And you are. Athra, Athera, uh, (laughs) I've had more than... Every night, while they sleep, you come here to Athena's temple. What do you ask her for? I, I ask what to ask. To know what I want. To be content. I'm not where I should be. I can be more. I was meant to be more. I know it. To do something worthy. I ask Athena what that is. And do you think she's answered? Can it be a coincidence that a man should drop straight from the sky after all this time? You really think you're the only woman on this island thinks that was her prayer being answered? I know nothing. Only that now I'm as unsettled in my mind as I have always been in my heart. Ithra moves to her, takes her hands. Then don't be a child. Don't ask for guidance, for permission. Don't ask anything. Tell Athena what you want. Maybe then you'll hear her reply. And see, I saw Hector's reaction there. That The line that specifically I thought like really set this apart was the idea that all the like Amazons are super horny and that they're excited that there's a okay. dude on the island. Oh, here's the, okay, wait. I, there's a thing with <laughs> depictions. Uh, I promise not to just run away with this, but like there's a thing with telling stories about Wonder Woman and Paradise Island and the Amazons uh, that persistently strikes me over time, even in some of the versions that I love best. And it is sort of, it's it's a different version of making it about the men from the other versions of this that we've talked about. But like, there seems like there is almost a requirement that uh, if you bring men there, someone has to make a joke about wanting to be stranded here. Like that seems to be required by law. Uh, and it, like that my 
favorite version being one of the most recent ones where they give that line to Etta Candy because she has now been retconned. Like, and I was like, oh, this is the first time I've loved that obligatory line that shows up in every one of these. I think um, I'm in heaven. I think I died and gone to heaven. It, and and some of that, you know, he, he does think he calls her his angel at the beginning, but he's just been crashed in a plane. So to, I can sort of forgive that. Uh, but like, it, it is, there is this assumption of like, well, they must be just as obsessed with the missing men as we assume that they would be because we are the center of the universe. Uh, and it shows up like, even in the Justice League cartoon, when they first go to the, the island, the first thing that comes up is that men aren't allowed there. And it, it just, it puts those concerns at the center of the story in this way that, I don't know, drives me crazy over time. Like, I get that there's always going to be some jokes and references to it, but it it's... It, it, it is one of those things that I thought was a hurdle a movie was inevitably going to hit and then got so amazed when I was like, we kind of didn't do that. That's mm -hmm. neat. Yeah, All right, I'm off my soapbox. I'm so sorry, y'all. Yeah. No, I think just... you're right. And this, much like what was going on with Donna Troy in the Todd Elcott script is, and again, you hire Joss Whedon, you should get a Joss Whedon version of Wonder Woman, but just the idea and like a Thera, Ethera, how do you say him? When she's introduced in the blocking, it describes that she's more student than athlete. So he's saying there's nerds like the <laughs> mascara too. It's mm -hmm. just like, I get it. He's like humanizing this and, stuff, but there is a question of, do you need to? But uh, that very specific line was one of the ones that people who were very upset about the script when it leaked sure. online in anticipation of Patty Jenkins uh, movie, they were really upset with that. They, mm -hmm. they, 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 some people interpret that line or that description of her as, um, uh, you know, she's smart, but she's still hot or whatever. And I'm like, but, but in, we know that there are what there are Amazons who are more, yes, they're all Amazons. Yes, they're all warriors, but there are more that are more like they're nerds on the mascara. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I just felt like that was one that people got so upset about on the internet. And I didn't, I just don't agree <laughs> with the assessment. It, it, yeah. It's interesting because specifically the Amazons and the Wonder Woman mythos is talking about different things than if a story involves Thor and Asgard or Aquaman and Atlantis, or all of these other fake, or Black Panther and Wakanda. Like, I think that it's so tricky to nail down the dynamics of a, an island full of women. And I think ultimately the Patty Jenkins version, and kind of, I think the one that's sort of been agreed upon, similar to Thor and Asgard, is that there really are no normal people there. There's no normal, there's no us, because they're all so amazing. Uh, I didn't see it the same way, interesting. I, Hello, I, isn't I, he Asgardian? <laughs> He's average. Who, who, which one? Skurg. Uh, Scourge? Scourge, thank you. He, <laughs> he is, he is, but he's also like, you know, heroic or, or talks about being heroic or that's kind of what, that's what his priorities are. You know, he, behold my stuff. And he then does he have a shake weight. He has a shake weight, but he, but he still looks at his crap as like, that's normal stuff. And it is kind of a hobby for him, meaning that he goes and visits Earth and, and he, he is so above normal that a funny sort of hobby for him and a, like an extracurricular, extracurricular activity for him is something that we take for granted and we're laughing because it's like, oh, we know what that is. It's a shake weight or that's a little scooter or that's a, but they find it as all this like, you know, fish out of water again, the kind of different cultures. I'm just saying like, I don't think that we're going to get, or if we do, will it work? An Aquaman movie spinoff where like we see regular sort of Atlanteans or an Asgard movie spinoff where we see regular Asgardians because the most we're going to get is for certain jokes. Like we see the Asgardian actors in Thor Ragnarok, including mm. Matt Damon and Sam Neill and mm -hmm, stuff, mm -hmm. or even the Warriors 3, which were like Thor's friends and one's really big, but the others are like really cool and stoic and stuff. I think that the strength of those types of comic book characters and worlds, the strength resides in you have to balance it with the normal. You know, the, some of the best Thor stuff is when he brings Asgard to Oklahoma. And they kind of did that in the more recent Avengers movies where they retire and they're in Norway. So that's interesting. I'm like, I'll watch that movie. The Nor the Norwegians interacting with Asgardians. I'm in. That's the movie. But it's not like, I don't think that spending time with, with the Amazons should make us so feel like it's us, but rather they are ideals to strive towards. You know what I mean? Sort of like Kryptonians or like, because that's not, because Wonder Woman's story is that she does come to humans world and makes us better. 
It's not necessarily that we look at the world and go, oh, let's just all wish we were in Themyscira and call it a day. Like, like it, it should be about making us better. Superman makes us better. Wonder Woman makes us better. Batman ideally makes us better. So, but maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe there's I, I you guess, know, room for that. I, my objection to such as it is, which, you know, to the, the way that scene plays out is not about me being like, oh, you're knocking the Amistons off their pedestals, because right. I think they should contain a range of experiences and attitudes. They should disagree with each other. They should change over time. I, I don't think they're perfect in any way. I do think they live in like a less sexist world. Um, and that's the whole point. Uh, I and so it's not that like they can't have references to sexuality it's the sort of casual assumption that an island full of women is the same as an island full of people obsessed with the idea of dudes yeah that's yep. the where it kind of goes wrong for me in that which is just a joke in a thing um yeah. it 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 you know some of your better versions of Wonder Woman canon acknowledge that queerness exists on the island. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that some of them might not want to go meet a dude someday but the sort of casual assumption that this is the case is where it's sort of goes wrong for me where it's sort of like that's a turn that we made and we could not make that turn okay but that's maybe more yeah. time than the, the scene merits <laughs> sorry guys uh, but i mean uh i think you're both right in the sense that well he was trying to humanize it to find jokes but there's an argument of like well do, first of all do you need to humanize it and they're not humans so is that even a thing that makes sense um, also, for me, just with a producer hat, I'm like, we can lose all these pages. Let's get <laughs> let's get Wonder Woman off the island yeah. and into the actual story. Um, yeah. And to that end, we once again, this has another trial by combat, where she ends up fighting Hippolyta, gets the golden lasso, all that stuff. They're going off. Similar thing. Where well, they I, wrap. Have, I have. Oh, I have go a ahead. Question. I, I don't know much about the lore, but was there a reason why there was like panthers and snakes all hanging out with them? Is that like a power or is that something? That's got to go back to the golden age, right, Amy? You know about some of that stuff? I just uh, tell the audience so the, the scene Steve's describing is when they're initially sentencing him to death, these like doors open and all these like animals come in. I think he even has like a quippy joke because she's like, we'll make your death as painless as possible and he's like you're gonna kill me with panthers but then that's not painless <laughs> yeah but then the the animals are just kind of the like vanguard or whatever you're calling it for diana walking up and being like i demand trial by combat uh but go on shoot i wish i uh remembered this better but there are a couple of different reference points for that one is that uh sometimes the greek gods re are represented as animals um, sometimes if you see Wonder Woman talking to a bunch of animals or surrounded by them, she is seeing symbols or representations of the various members of the Pantheon. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, there's like a traditional association of Hera and peacocks. There's a bunch of this that goes back to like, again, real mythology, which I say just meaning our world. Um, and some versions of canon, she can talk to animals. Uh, and some versions of canon give her like a cool menagerie on the island. And there's Golden Age stuff where they ride kangaroos. So if you want to go down. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, that that road there's there's lots of so i'm not sure i can't remember which of those sort of categories that one comes into like cool menagerie mm -hmm. uh symbolism godly presence I, but I it's also, probably somewhere in there i also think uh. that the symbolism is part of it i think that like to show their connection to animals is another way to show that the Amazons are better than us, that mm. they've gotten to a point where it, they're like super vegetarian, vegan, like just in, so in harmony with nature and it's beautiful. And in fact, in one of the Wonder Woman comics that came out in the past couple of years, I think it was Wonder Woman, uh, is it year one is the one I'm thinking of, Amy, where like she shows up on Man's World, it's the modern day, but then she gets like put into a jail cell and then where she's there, like all these animals come in to kind of hang out with her like Snow White. Oh yeah, it's year that, one. I read yes. that one too. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And I think it shows some of that like innocence and beauty and that she thinks of all the creatures of the animal world as, as having souls and she can, can you know, that, and that's, it's great. That's right. And it was, it was like a princess. It was kind of like a fun riff on the Disney yeah. princess, except <laughs> this was the yeah. Amazon warrior princess. And I think even the, the animals do something that's not like sweet, like sit on her. It's like, it's something. Yeah. I, I, that's a great scene. I'm so glad yeah. you brought it up, Hector. Yeah, that was fun. But I, but like Amy was saying, I think at one point, one of the birds ends up being like Athena or Hera yeah. or something yes. that she's talking to. And so yeah, so um, that's kind of cool, yeah. Now I'm kind of missing mm. that in the 2017 movie. I'm like, where were the kangaroos? Come on. <laughs> put, put saddles on kangaroos. Let's go. We got to see a huge seahorse in Aquaman 
Give me the Wonder Woman kangaroo. Gal Gadot riding around. Release the kangaroo. And we're going to hit pause on our conversation right here and pick things up again in the next episode. I want to thank our guests, Amy Dallin, Hector Navarro, and Clark Wolf for joining us. You can find us on Instagram at Best Movies Never Made and on Twitter at Never Made Film, where we post pictures of concept art and script pages and all sorts of things. Uh, You might also want to check out the Electric Now app, which is a free app that allows you to watch movies and TV shows and more importantly, video from our podcast. So you can look at our faces while we're telling you about these wonderful unmade films. I want to give a special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.